Hey everyone, Dave Broadback here. This is the uh, audio for a lecture uh, in Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. It used to be called Design and Analysis 1, but we didn't think that name was scary enough. Also check out the uh, YouTube uh, videos of uh, these uh, lectures. I guess I've now just committed myself to doing the YouTube videos. Anyway, check out my YouTube channel and you can find them there. Or also at my blog, people.ac.ca slash broadback slash blog. If you like statistics, oh, you're going to love this. Okay, so all right, so we were talking today about how the mean absolute deviation is actually a pretty useless tool for our purposes. Um, it has its uses, it just isn't in inferential statistics, the kind of statistics we're going to use. So we have to find out something that's going to work better. It has real intuitive appeal, and that makes it's a real shame that it doesn't work that It's used more in things like, uh, well, non-parametric statistics, let's just say that. So there's got to be a better way, and of course you know there is, and if there wasn't, we'd stop right now. Course is over, everybody know. Um, and the other way to get rid of negatives, because we have to get rid of them, because remember, if we just use the negatives, we end up always with zero, and we would, the world just works that way. The other way, of course, is to square the deviations. So we're going to look at square deviations from me. So negative 9 squared is 81. So any time you take, when you square a negative number, you get a positive number. Right? Remember, negative times a negative gives you a positive. Again, this is one of those things you learned in grade 7 and thought, I'll never do this. Well, here it is. So we're getting closer to what we need this way. So that's the batch of numbers, which was what, 1, 5, 9, 20, and 30. The average of those numbers is 13. So 1 minus 13 squared, 5 minus 13 squared, 9 minus 13 squared, 20 minus 13 squared, 30 minus 13 squared, 144 plus 64 plus 16 plus 49 plus 289. Right? And we square all those numbers. Now we have so the squared deviations from me. Right? And we're going to sum them. We're going to get something called, you may have heard of this term before, a sum of squares. Right? That's where the term comes from, because it's a sum of squares. It's a sensible term. You'll find, for the most part, in statistics, <coughs> the terms are sensible, except for leptocurtic and Dwayne Heocurtic, or whatever the other one is. So... Uh, I told him about your joke. Good. Did you like that? He said, how would you know you can't see? Excellent. <laughs> well played. Is that Paul or Dwayne? Paul. Good. Well, oh, I'll get it back. Yeah, it's more complimentary than keel, I guess. It's going to happen now and then, but I just, you know, like, I'm not alone with the keel compliments. Uh, again, we're friends. Divide that all by five, we get 112.4. Okay. Five observations. So just getting the average, right? So the 
it makes sense to divide by the number of observations. Now, that seems like a mighty big number, considering all, none of those numbers, you know, you got <coughs> numbers like 13 and 20. None of them were that big, but remember, we've got a squared, the units, the, the units we're using are squared, right? Well, the, what we're going to do then is take the square root of that. So the opposite of squaring something is taking the square root. Now, this is one of those cases where, by the way, it's easy to it's easy to make mistakes doing these things with calculators. And that's because you're putting a whole bunch of numbers in. Right? You're putting a whole bunch of numbers into something, you're going to make mistakes. But when you look at something and go 112.4 the square root of that, you should look at that and say, what should that be? Well, should be something between 10 and 11, probably, right? 10 squared is 100. It's 10.6. So now that looks like a sensible number, right? It has intuitive appeal. It feels like we have a number here. And going back to the M18, what's the number for the mean absolute deviation? Step batch numbers again. Go back because we have that just sitting in front of them. Was nine point six? Was it? It's nine point six. So again, it feels right. Like it's the same kind of number. Like it's not an order of magnitude bigger or order of magnitude smaller. It feels sensible, right? A lot of doing statistics isn't just knowing formulas uh, and all that. In fact, a great uh, amount of it seems to me is having an intuitive feel for it. Does it make sense? Do these numbers make sense that I'm getting? And that number makes some sense. There is, however, a real issue. I say a little problem. It's actually, in some, some respects, a rather big problem. And that's what I've shown you so far. That formula has and on the bottom, the number of observations. And that makes, speaking of intuitive sense, makes complete intuitive sense. But it really does. The problem is it should be n minus 1. What? Yeah, supposed to be n minus 1. We want something that will be an unbiased estimator of the same quantity in a population. These aren't, I haven't told you they're a population, and if I don't tell you something's a population, it's a sample. Right? That's the sort of general rule is that if, unless you are sure it's a population, it's a sample. So there is some population of numbers that those numbers were drawn from. We want something that's an unbiased estimator of a population. We want what's called a statistic, which is a number that describes a sample. It is an unbiased estimator of a population parameter, which is a number that is usually an unknown number that describes population. Usually unknown, not always, but almost always. Because if you knew them, you wouldn't have to do the statistics now, would you? Right? If I knew what the population number was, why am I doing a sample? That would be stupid and a giant waste of everyone's time. 
typically population parameters, as they're called, are unknowable. Because if they were knowable, we wouldn't have to do statistics. Right? Think about when we do experiments. If I actually knew what happened in the population, why am I doing an experiment? I already know the answer. It would be silly for me to do an experiment. If I could say that I knew that the right half of the room did better on a memory test in the left half of the room, and I just knew that, no matter all right halves and left halves of rooms, why am I doing these science then? It's a waste of my time. I just know that. But we don't know that. That's not how the universe works. We can't know things like that. When we do know things like that, people line up on Sundays and worship us. Or Thursdays or Fridays or Tuesdays or whatever day your belief system lines up to worship deities. Or does it? I don't know. I'm not trying to be offensive anymore. I can be offensive. I can be extremely offensive. But not. I don't try to be. Let's just say that. I can do it outside of class. Give me a couple drinks and I can be exceedingly why specifically does is n minus one and unbiased? This is it's an excellent question. Um, there's two ways to answer this. One way is that we can look at the math behind this, the really sort of deep math behind it, <coughs> showing it works that way. There are proofs that show this, and that's probably not exceedingly. Pleasing for me to say that. But I can tell you that's true. The other thing is that numbers don't know where they come from. This is more of an intuitive explanation. Numbers don't know where they come from. Numbers are ignorant. We have made, and numbers are free to vary as much as they feel like. Well, wait, what? Numbers don't feel like doing anything, I know. But numbers can, are free to vary. So if we had, what are our numbers again? I forget what they are, but they add up to, doesn't matter what they add up to. Let's go with a different set of examples so I don't have to remember what the numbers are. If we had the numbers, uh, 10, 20, 40, 50. So that adds up to, so what's the mean of that? 30 and 40 is 70, and 50 is 120, right? So that adds up to 120. Divided by 4, so the mean is 30. Okay. So if we had those numbers, 10, 20, 40, 50, just double checking, 90, We just have to take the square root, no big deal. What do I have to 
assume about these numbers to make that calculation? At a, ba a batch of, let's say, four numbers, what do I have to assume about them? What have I done in advance? What have I calculated before I calculated this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to calculate the mean before I calculate the standard deviation, yes? Or the derivative. Everybody understands that, right? Because it's actually in the formula. So there is one restriction on the on the on that number. Or on, on that formula. And that's that I, the numbers in this case have, have to add up to, in the example I've made up, they have to add up to 120. Right? They must add up to 120. Or they must add up to, if you want to get general, x times n. Sum of x is times the, times the n. Okay. So if I had numbers, give me a number. Okay, 15. Give me another one. 30. What was one? 30. 30 is good. Give me another one. 20. 20. Uh-oh. This has to add up to 120. There's a restriction set here, so that's got to be, uh, let's see, it's 50, 65, it's going to have to add up to, it's got to be 55. So we did that math correctly in my head. It must. It cannot be anything else. We could do this all day long. We shall not, but we could. If the numbers must add up to 120, that's a restriction I've put on those numbers. That's how much they can vary. I can arbitrarily assign three values. The fourth one is fixed. If I divide by n minus 1, we're taking that into account. We're taking into account the fact that the numbers we're looking at their variance. We're really only looking at three of them, in a sense, not four, because the fourth one is fixed. No matter, or if in general, we are looking at n minus one, not n. We have lost what is called a degree of freedom. Numbers have freedom to vary. And in samples, you've lost a degree of freedom because you have to fix the mean. You've lost the degree of freedom. Which leads to the one statistics joke, which is this one unbiased estimator meets up with another one in a bar. And he says, how do you like being married? He says, it's okay as long as you don't mind losing a degree of freedom. <laughs> yeah, done. Um, so when you're writing by N, it's you're using all four of the numbers. Well, yeah, and that's, that's, that's the number population. Having the, so that's the whole population. Yeah. The minus one is. It says it's a sample. We have to fix something. So we <laughs> yeah. Does that make some sense? Good. Good. So numbers have freedom. Again, the numbers are ignorant. They don't know where they came from. Right? And we can arbitrarily assign n minus one of them. But the final one is fixed. The nth one is fixed. I remember all the way through intro stats at Western when I was an undergrad. 
Intro Stats was a full year course. Psych 281. And I was always the guy going, yeah, but why? And I was always told the same thing. You'll learn this in 381. And I remember asking the prof after class, what are degrees of freedom? And he said, It's really beyond the scope of this course. And then I remember the which is actually a totally sensible example because in an intro stats course, they're saying, this is a T test, this is a Z test, this is chi squared, do this now. You have to learn that first. I think if you were taught this first, it would actually make your life more comp not you guys, you guys got through to uh, 2126. But I think the vast majority of people in 2126 would go, what? Numbers are free? Free the numbers, man! I mean, I, th I think people will be really confused. So the reason why, because a lot of people get to this course and go, why didn't they tell us this in 2126? Or why was it just, you were told, degrees of freedom is n minus 1, just remember that. And it isn't quite as one as the number of arbitrary, val arbitrary values minus the number of things you fixed. It's the freedom numbers have to vary. In 2126 saying, it's n minus 1, just remember that is a really sensible thing to do. It's not sensible. It, it's, sorry, it's sensible, and it's short form, and it's fine. It's like when you learn, do you remember in like grade 11, grade 10 science, when you learned that atoms had, had a, uh, a nucleus and was made up of protons and, and neutrons, and then around them were orbiting electrons like planets? And you thought, oh yeah, that's cool. And then you get to like your upper year science class and you're told, yeah, it's not really true. It's a perfectly good model. It's wrong, but it's a perfectly good model. Actually, we have electron probability clouds. And you're sitting there thinking, I'm glad you didn't teach you that grade nine. Electron probability clouds. Right? It's the same kind of thing. That's why you sort of taught this at a little more deeper level now, because you probably most of you, it's probably yeah, probably not you guys, most people will be going, I'm scared. Numbers can't vary on their own. So this is why we get, we're estimating a population with a sample, we have to divide by the number of degrees of freedom, not by the number of observations. I hope that helps. And like I said, when you play with this, actually with the proofs behind all this stuff, which, if you're lucky in graduate school, you'll be told this. Here's a proof. Make sense to you? Great. If not, I wouldn't worry about it. That's how I was taught it in grad school. I can show you the proof if you like, but I'll but you don't really want to see it. And then Ian Spence would make a blind jump because he was like that. And you probably couldn't see it anyway, could you? Because he was awesome. Alright. So the population parameters vary. It's the standard deviation of n on the bottom, because you're actually looking at the real numbers, the actual numbers that are in the population. The sample statistics, population parameters, sample statistics. P and P go together, S and S go together. Are used to estimate them have n minus 1, the number of degrees of freedom on the bottom, not the number of observations. Yeah, when you're in grad school, those proofs will be in your book, and as I said, if you're lucky, your prof just goes here, whatever, there's proofs there. Enjoy. And that's my view of this kind of stuff, too. We're using this, we aren't doing statistics for the sake of it, we're doing it as a tool. Using it as a tool. I encourage questions like Mitch's, that's a good question. Okay. They would actually underestimate the population parameters if they had N underneath them. The nice thing is we know how much by. 
And if we use degrees of freedom rather than actual number of observations, it fixes that. So we end up with an unbiased estimator, not a biased estimator. A biased estimator would consistently overestimate or underestimate, depending on the estimator, a population graph. An unbiased estimator overestimates as much as it underestimates. It doesn't get it dead on. It'd be great if it got it dead on. Our universe doesn't work that way. By the way, the thing working with n minus one works really only if you have a technically works only if you have a random sample. <coughs> you never have a random sample, but it works well enough that you can violate the crap out of that assumption. You can violate it so much that it doesn't matter. Okay, so there's the sample statistics. S squared is the sum of the x minus x bar squared over n minus one. And then the square of that quantity is S. It's funny, you think that S would be the one we'd like all the time. You'll find out in this course that we hardly ever really talk about standard deviation. We talk about variance all the time. Just the way it is. We'll talk about S. We use S when we do things like t-tests. That's what it is. We tend to worry about variance. Like nails in the roof? On their way in? I don't like that. Okay. Just notice that now. I'm fond of it. Mike Holmes would come in here and go, you know, it's a real shame because it's not up the cold. Got out the whole thing. Alright. So in our case, our standard deviation, now we divide it by 4, we end up with 11.85 for our standard deviation. Okay, great. Yay! So that's what we end up with. <coughs> and that's a thing you know. By the way, if you have a calculator that does stats, which a lot of you might, it might have very strange things written on it. Like, for example, my, my calculator, which I still use, I bought literally the first day I started graduate school. My TA for my graduate stats class bought it for me because I had no money on me. And there wasn't, there was a time when we used things, paper things called money, instead of just using your phone and your fingerprint. Um, I was at the UFD bookstore and I was like, I didn't have enough money. My stats TA, who I didn't even know yet, he said, You're one of the new psych students. I said, Yeah. He said, You buy enough for the class? I said, Stats class. He said, I'm your TA. Uh, pay me back first class. And he I did pay him back. He's now the chair of the psych department at Dartmouth College in the States. Uh, Todd. And it has funny notation on it such that when it's doing standard deviation, which you can do, it has two. It has, let's say, variance. Sigma squared sub n and sigma squared sub n minus 1. Um, that's, I guess, okay. That's because sigma is the population parameter. That makes literally no sense. It should just be s squared. So sometimes you see sigma squared of n minus 1 on the calculator. 
and you don't do a population trend with n minus one on the bottom. That's the same sample statistic. So you might see that on your calculator. Don't do that. Calculators are made by calculator people, not by statisticians. So my calculator actually has that, and it's wrong. Like it's it's literally the it's the, the button's labeled incorrectly, which drives me insane. Is it the right calculator? Oh, the calculation's fine. It's just it's like that's not a thing. Sigma squared sub n minus one actually isn't a thing. Maybe it was cheaper than making the S. Maybe. It'd be funny though. Like Greek letters would be cheaper than S's. I don't know. Population, as I said, looks like a sigma sigma squared. Big X minus mu squared. Big X is uh, the capital letters mean that you're using actual population values, and mu is a population parameter for the mean. And big N is the number of members of the population. So we estimate sigma squared with S squared. We estimate sigma with S. Okay? Questions so far? Makes sense, right? And I think it's something probably related to. Give me something where we would know, be able to know the population parameter for the, for the mean. Pardon me? Uh, popular, pop, where's something where we would actually know the population parameter for me? Yeah, I can use one example because the tests are designed to be about 100. Actually, it's an standard deviation of 15, very easy to 25. What's something else? Well, we actually know mu. Let's not even worry about sigma, sigma and sigma squared because <coughs> few I can think of are IQ and IQ. What is something where we would know the population parameter for the mean? Think of anything? If you think of a class as a population, one could. I'm thinking like voting in some aspect. That's actually nice because, in fact, with in elections, what they're doing is they're estimating not means, they're estimating proportions, uh, which are P's or capital. P's and then the proportion in the population is a Greek letter phi. Um, yeah, I mean, we actually know the values there. Okay. We, we get those after the election. Right. We have the estimates. And the, the estimates, of course, have a confidence interval, plus or minus so many percentage points, 19 times of 20. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where random, sam random sampling is, of course, important. Or, in fact, not so much random sampling, but representative sample. Mm -hmm. Sure. Still not a mean, though. But it's a good example. <laughs> You think we mean that we even know the population parameter for the IQ? Um, Jeez, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Which? Age. Of humans? Of the population of Canada, well, you can probably get that in the census. I guess that's possible. But that's a snapshot of the day the census was done. 
June 10th, 2016, I think, was the little This is hard. It's hard to think of something. We can imagine there is a meaning for something, but actually knowing it is really, really hard. But again, any possible examples here? A different score. A difference between the IQ of people. Go with IQ again. No, it's not use IQ. It's so sick of using IQ. The difference in 100 meter running speed between people who live in Sault Ste. Marie and Brandon, Manitoba. It's probably zero on average, right? We can in fact, you can theoretically imagine it should be zero. It should be zero. There's probably some people with really good wheels in Brandon and probably some slow people. There's probably some people with really good wheels in Sault Ste. Marie and probably some slow people. Because Brandon's the same size as the Sioux, right? I think. I don't know. Let's pretend. I don't know. So you can, things like that, I can imagine where we could say it would be zero, a different score of some sort. You know, like when you set up a null hypothesis. Yeah, I can imagine that being something, but I can't sit there and think, what's the average height of a human in inches or centimeters? I don't know. I could guess something, but I don't know that it's true, and I wouldn't put any stock, I wouldn't bet on it. I, can, I would be willing to put down some money on the Brandon versus Sault Ste. Marie running competition that it, on average it works out to be a difference of zero. But, oh boy, I, I can't even think of anything. I can, like I said, differences? Yeah, okay. So that's hard enough. Besides IQ, can you think of anything? Oh, wait a second, here's one. Average roll of a die. There's an easy one. Three and a half. Done. There's six different possible rolls. One and two is three, three is six, four is ten, and then fifteen, twenty-one, divided by six. Three and a half? I think so. Okay. Sure. Oh, the average. If we assign one to heads and zero to tails, the average coin flip should be 0.5. Yeah, sure, okay, those are easy. Yeah, really useful too. But I can I can imagine them at least. I can I can theoretically say with some certainty, I think, if we've got a fair coin or a fair die, I can make some okay. Standard deviations are hard. It's really hard to imagine what a standard deviation can be. You can actually do it. The binomial expansion. It's hard. There's a reason we do statistics because we don't know population parameters, and they're almost always complete. They're almost always unknown. In fact, sometimes you'll see a definition, like a definition of population parameter is 
an unknown number that describes a population. And that's a, quite a nice definition of a, of a population parameter. The reason we talk about IQ tests so often in intro stats classes is it's one of the few things where we actually know the population parameters because the tests are designed that way. But the world typically does not work that easily. <coughs> All right. Questions so far? Good. So how are the variance in the standard deviation affected by extreme scores? Extreme! That would be Kumar, nothing. Um, so 1, 5, 9, 20, 30, those are our numbers, right? Our batch of numbers. Standard deviation, which you remember was 11.85, assuming I copied that correctly. I didn't, whatever it, how can I make it? Let's start a new number, 729. Why not? Sure, 729. So it's 159, 20, 30, 729. Our new mean is 132.33. And remember that standard deviations can be affected by the mean. Look at the formula. It's got it up here. It's right there. Our new variance is uh, 8,555.067. Sorry, 85,555.067. And our new standard deviation is 292.5. Oh. I think it's affected. So the mean is affected by extreme scores. If the mean's affected, so of course is the standard deviation the variance, because it's actually in the formula. You're putting a bigger number on top in the numerator of a fraction. You put a bigger number in the numerator, you get a bigger number. Right? you get a bigger number. We've got hardly anything to the denominator. It's gone up by one. Numerator's gone up by lots. Okay. So that's something to keep in mind. Now, one could make the argument that that's an outlier. If you want, there's really no definition of outlier. You'll see people who write definitions. I always think an outlier is a weird number. That's a I mean, really, because you'll see all that, it's four standard deviations from the mean or whatever. I don't know. It's weird and doesn't belong, so when I like. Again, exploratory data analysis, it's for you. It's not, it's not for anybody else. So how do we use this to our advantage? Well, our advantage might be a little strong way to put it, but there's a thing called the coefficient of variation. So we look at some data by Katz at Alpha 1990, and I believe this is from the book. Um, boy, that's slow. Eh? So we have people studying or not studying and then writing a test. I forget, in fact, what the test was on. 
let's say it was theoretical physics. Let's <laughs> that up. When people study, the mean is 69.6. That's good. Assuming it's 100, that's pretty good. When people don't study, the mean's lower. Right around 50. That's not good. The standard deviation is 10.6 when people study. And it's only 8, 6.8 when they don't study. So are you telling me, if we were to just interpret this based on, let's give you ignore the means for a second. If we're to interpret this based solely on the standard deviations, we're saying there's more variation in performance when you study. Wait, what? How is that possible? Why would there be more variation in performance when you study? That would be weird, wouldn't it? Well, you could study and still do pretty bad. Of course, yeah. But you could also study and still do pretty well. Like, why, why would there be more variance? It just seems strange. It's counterintuitive. It would be a strange thing, in fact, if I, if I said to you, if, if you came to me for some advice, you're not doing great in class. And you said, how can I do that? Well, the first thing you can do, you're going to get more variance if you study. So I'd stop studying. Because you're going to be all over the place if you study. What? You would walk out of my office and he's insane. Which I think many of you do. But you might throw in, he's more insane. He's finally lost it. All the authorities. And that's when I put my feet up, light a cigar, and go, tenure. <laughs> um, actually, lighting the cigar would probably be fine. Putting my feet up and saying, tenure wouldn't. Letting a cigar, they kill you. Actually, saying the word cigarette inside of a building in Canada literally gets you fired. <laughs> Close. <laughs> we went from one extreme where people smoked everywhere. There used to be a sign here because an older group said no smoking. It tells you something. That means people used to smoke in here. When there ever has to be a no smoking sign, that tells you something. It tells you that people used to think, oh, can I smoke in here? Because the default position of the world was. Well, I'm awake. I guess I should start smoking. I told some of you guys this. When I was at Westminster undergrad, you could smoke in the library. There were study carols that actually had ashtrays built in. You couldn't bring food in. Please don't bring in any cheese ritz. But open flames? They're great around books. Strangest thing, right? And then now, if you see people, you know, 25 meters outside of a building smoking, you'll see people walk, walking by going, you know, you're worse than Hitler. So it's, it's I know, happy medium. I've smoked a long time. I'm just saying that I never wanted to be when I quit smoking that, this guy. Now I'm getting hate smoking. It's like, hey, come on, smoke on the one. Stop doing class. That's a little weird. Maybe a pipe, maybe as a maybe professor, like, right? Be very professorial, smoke a pipe. Or just weird. This isn't my way, I'm going to hit it. There's a right here. I'm not going to throw it. It's not a lot of room here. I like NW200, right? Just throw chairs. <laughs> maybe you've seen me do that, and you haven't seen me when I walked in, into the clear podium when they put it in there. Yeah, put the clear furniture in there for the blind eye. Funny! 
It's like a Helen Keller joke, for Christ's sakes. Anyway, the coefficients of variation, or the CVs, if you will, what this does is we're taking the standard deviation divided by the mean. We're standardizing it. It's affected by the mean when it divides by that value. And you see, in fact, that these numbers are almost identical. Which is telling you that this variance, even the variance, whoa, very inception. Nothing. Is simply due to the fact this means bigger. You'd never present, or you mean, I shouldn't say never. Rarely would you present a coefficient of variation in a paper or a talk or something. But when you would see something like that, you might make, might make you wonder. So what you do is you just calculate this. Yeah, coefficient of variation. That's what CV means. What's the S? What's the S? I'm pluralizing coefficient of variation. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> that threw me off. That's what I I don't put uh, apostrophes typically because okay. there's no reuse of apostrophes in the world. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. You don't have to put an apostrophe to put. And I think what's led to people putting apostrophes to pluralize things is people putting apostrophes in abbreviations. This is my theory. Also, the fact that no one reads books anymore. Hmm. Read some twits blog post. Well, I read it on Facebook. It's got to be true. There's even a, what, a picture of the guy, Sean Bean, doing this, saying you should, you don't not simply pluralize. <coughs> it's a meme joke. It's within meme jokes. All right. So you see that, though? We're basically just dividing by the standard deviation. So it's going to by the mean to get standardized. That's all. Okay, so standard deviation divided by B. That's all that is. All right, just a couple of key points. Remember, we want to learn about samples, not populations. I mean, we want to learn about populations. We want to guess. We want to make estimates about them. And the only way to do that is by learning about samples. We estimate population parameters to sample statistics. We want unbiased estimates of parameters. That's what we want. We can't calculate population parameters except under very specific circumstances. Um, as Curtis said, if we thought of everybody in this class this class with a population, and then I was to have to say that grade of each person in this class, that's a population. But why would that be an interesting population? Right? What I'm comparing, what I compared, for example, years ago was me recording my lectures and releasing them as podcasts, and it actually helped students' grades, because one of the reasons I was doing this uh, was to increase students' grades, was it actually increasing their grades, um, I didn't think of each class as a population. I thought of them as a sample. Okay. And it did, 6.1 points. So. I haven't done it since, but it did. So we want to learn about populations, but we can't directly measure them. So we learn about samples, and then we make estimates of populations. All right. Now, here's something I just have to throw in at the end. I know it just seems like, wait, what? Okay. 
couple bits of notation. First of all, E and then parentheses means the expected value of. An expected value is a long-term average or what you would expect with an infinite number of what we would call in statistics and probability experiments. Okay? So the expected value is what you would get with an infinite number of experiments. And an experiment is the probability is just how many so what's the expected value of x plus k? x is a variable, and k is a constant. Well, the expected value of x is x bar, right? The expected value of something is its average. Does that make sense so far? So if I was to add k to that, k is a constant, it doesn't change. The expected value now becomes x bar plus k. Because what's the expected value of a constant? Well, it, the constant. So what's the expected value of 7? Well, it's 7. No matter how many times you say 7, it's still 7. So if our mean was 10, and we added 7 to every score, we should now expect 17. Right? Does that make sense to everyone? Okay. What happens if I add 7 to all these scores to the variance? Well, it tells you right there. It doesn't change the variance. So if I'm a, if I'm a distribution of scores, Okay. I'm going to distribute. Let's put me here. Because we're going to, no, we're here because I'm going to go that way and that way is going to be positive. Okay. We're going to add a constant. Didn't change the shape. Didn't change the spread out of this. Right? The expected value of a score times a constant is the mean, x bar, times the constant. Again, if I had the score of 10 as our average for whatever the hell we're measuring, and I multiplied all the scores times 7, we would expect a new, very, a new mean, I'm sorry, of 70, right? Does that make sense? <coughs> right? Makes sense. Now, the variance of x times k is s squared sub, uh, sub x, so that's the, the original variance, times the constant squared. Remember, it's a squared value, so it's a squared constant. So if our mean is 10, and let's say, well, let's make the math easy, let's say our variance is 10 as well. Okay. And we've multiplied all the scores times 7, that was our constant, k. What's our new variance? Do it in your heads. Don't get a calculator. What's 7 squared? Thank you. What's 10 times 49? 490. Just put it in. 
What do you, no, that's not. Would you say like a thirty-eight or unknowable or something? It's like I don't know. No one will ever know. That's impossible. It's like what's a million times a million? That's a million. Yeah, that's a one from The Simpsons, right? And Nelson says uh, it's like what's the square root of a million? No one will ever know. That's a, actually, that's a pretty. Don't you have to do ten times ten? No, it's a very expensive. That's the standard deviation was ten, and we a hundred. Yeah, times 49. Don't be afraid of numbers of arithmetic. Please. Now, if you're doing this on a quiz and I gave you something and you want to double check it, that's fine. And even if you want to go, okay, 10 times 49, and then you go to carry the way, that's fine. Do that, do that. See, you should also learn that just a little bit of your head. When I was a young lad, we were taught all the squares of all numbers up to 25 because it was like, you'll, you should know how to do this because you're supposed to be a civilized adult. Then the world changed. I blamed the internet and uh, the media, and the media blamed it. Questions about this. Do you see what's happening? To, to, this is all, all it's saying is that when you multiply times something, different things happen than when you add something. K is a constant, it's just a math thing. It's the same number all the time. Okay? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So you're just moving the distribution if, you add. If, you're, if you're just moving it, yeah. If you multiply, you're moving it and you're making it fatter if it's a positive number. Or sorry, if it's a greater than one number, let's forget positive negatives. If it's greater than one, you make it fatter. It's less than one, you're actually going to make it thinner. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, in what cases would this be useful? Um, if you were doing something, think about something like this. If you were converting units, which you often do, if you're converting units from elapsed time to speed, right? That's actually a reciprocal basis, right? Because think of it as kilometers and kilometers per hour. Sorry, uh, hours or seconds. And then meters per second. So that's exactly what you're doing here. You're multiplying times of constant. Except the constant magnitude is less than one. Yeah, yeah, good question. Other questions about this? Yeah, Okay, so going back to the beginning. Um, okay. I First just, year, cool. I just like tried to think about it, and it's, <clears throat> I'm blank. Yeah. So, okay, so you know when we were talking about y and minus 1, and you said yeah. if it's a statistic, we would lose a degree. We were free. Right That's correct. Okay, and like you said, it would not be, it would no longer be an unbiased estimation that is correct. calculation parameter. That is correct. I totally get that, Good. but I just don't understand why. I understand what you're saying, like the concept of it, but yeah, I don't yeah. understand the reason behind it. Uh, what Do I need to? Or well, like, is that you're, much? it's nice if you if you have a, at least an intuitive feel for it. And that's okay. it. If you are when you are calculating a variance for a population, you actually are using the whole population. Like that's it's a real quantity. Yeah. When you're estimating something, you had to fix this value. So the numbers are free to vary to a certain extent, but not completely free because they have to because you the fix mean. the mean. So you've lost the degree of freedom. So you're actually dividing by how many numbers could vary, not how many numbers you have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good question. Other questions? 
Okay, so we'll stop this. Some stuff I want to show you. Right. Let me just do one quick thing here. and just open SPSS up. Now you'll see here, the first thing I did is I went into what's called variable view and I created a variable. So we've got a variable, we're going to name it, well here's a good name for a variable, Steve is a fine name. We can have a numeric variable, we can have all kinds of other variables too. We can give it a label, all kinds of other cool stuff. The important thing is here, we have these variables, I've called them testing and Steve. Let's put some values in for Steve, too. Oops. Oops. Let's just see. Let's see what happens when we give it. Wait, that doesn't work. Of course it doesn't work because I said it was a numeric variable. Right? Okay. So we've got a couple of variables there. This might be useful, for example, for when you're doing your the homework assignment. Okay? This is just like playing around with uh, Excel. It's very straightforward. Right? Yeah. You say that you know it, but today we'll say what tomorrow will be. But I thought that I showed it. Guess it's front row, wait, watch, you'll see And if you say that you love me tomorrow Tomorrow is too late I need you to say that you Inside. 
Source on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using, just search for da- uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures, Nagomi University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh- uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want, but if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GAU license. Um, I hope you learned something but if you didn't i unless you're one of my students i really don't care um the music by the way for each uh song for each uh uh episode <laughs> lecture uh is uh available they're all podcast uh, like pod safe music so if you want to uh, find out about the bands there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback uh if those links don't work just contact me and i'll find uh, i'll find out um 
Often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.